Well, we've been in a series on these individuals in the Bible. We've been looking at the Bible and, and asking it really what it has for us, what God has for us in the way of examples for our lives. Now, these individuals, their examples are sometimes good and sometimes they're bad, but, but they give us a picture of what it looks like to live in faith toward God. And so we talked about Adam and Eve, and we've talked about Joseph and, and Noah, and, and today we're going to talk about someone who's uh, really one of the, the quintessential leaders prior to Christ, David himself. Uh, but in order to do that, we're also going to talk about someone who really served as a foil for his life, someone whose who's failures and whose leadership really provide a contrast for, for David, and that person is Saul. So if you will open up your Bibles or, or get your Bible, out, Bible app out, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 13 and 14. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. If you will stand with me, we're going to read this together. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded to you. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we... As we consider these sobering words, I pray that you would help us to see what it is you are looking for and what you're not looking for, and, and how we ought to live in line with your purpose, Lord, that we would all be individuals, men and women, whose hearts are aligned with yours, whose purposes are aligned with your purpose, whose wills are in concert with your will. And Father God, I pray most of all that we would see not only David as this righteous ruler, whose life exemplified something of, of a commitment to your purposes, Lord God, but that we, see, we would see Christ behind him, the, the one whose purpose was so aligned it was one with his Father. Father God, I pray that we would consider David the, the great king, and we would consider Christ the king of kings, and we would fall on our knees and obey. Lord, that we would not just do religious acts or do religious works, but that our lives would be lives of simple obedience. Holy Spirit, would you come now, right now, and you would speak to us through your word, transform our hearts through your word in a moment, make us more like you, make us more like David, make us more like Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In any good story, you have these individuals or these characters who really provide background for the main character. And to really appreciate David, you, you kind of have to back up and, and look at Saul, the first king of Israel. In this text, we just jumped in and, and you see Samuel, who is the presiding judge and ruler of, of Israel, he's a prophet, He's a judge, which means he, he adjudicates over issues in the country, but he's not a king. And in fact, the only king of Israel is God himself. Now, after God had taken the Israelites out of Egypt, 
he, he brought them into the promised land and you had this period of, of individuals who, who ruled as judges over Israel. You had Moses who served in some respect as an Israel, as a, as a judge. Uh, you had Joshua, you had uh, Gideon and, and Samson and, and so, so on and so forth too. You get to Samuel who serves both as, as a judge and a prophetic voice, one who speaks on behalf of God. Now, the Israelites experienced some, some pushbacks and some challenges from, from a surrounding uh, people, and they, they begin to threaten the Israelites, and the Israelites cry out and say, we want a king. We want someone who can organize our nation, who can call up an army, who can lead us like the other nations. They're actually looking around at the other nations and saying, hey, we want to be like them. We want to have a king. And so Saul is appointed and anointed. The thing about it is that by requesting a king, the, the Israelites had done something bad. They had actually, uh, they had rejected their true king. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God is talking to, to Samuel, and God says, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving gods, so they are doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Let me tell you, my friends, uh, the grass is not always greener on the other side. And we have a tendency as humans to think that it's true. We have a tendency to think that we can lead better than so-and-so, that we can speak better than so-and-so, that we're smarter than so-and-so. And oftentimes, when we look at our circumstances and judge our circumstances, we're not only judging our circumstances, but we're judging the God of those circumstances. We're like the Israelites. We get dissatisfied with the way that God arranges our lives. What I'm not saying here is that, that we ought to just be doormats and be okay with bad things that happen to us. That's not what we're talking about here. The Israelites had a God to whom they could speak and, and call out. If things were happening to them, it was not like they didn't have a recourse. They weren't just expected just to take it, to, you know, to, to get punched and, and let it happen. No, they could reach out to their king. They could say, king, help us. Their king was Yahweh, their Lord. But they said, you know what, Yahweh, you're, you're not... We, we want a real king. I mean... Listen to the arrogance of that statement. You're talking to the God who saved you, who brought you out of Egypt. God, who created all things, we want a, quote-unquote, real king. They wanted a king like the other nations. And like them, we often look at our lives and say, we want a different God. We want someone who's ruling differently. Wouldn't it be great if my life and my situation was more like their life and their situation? Wouldn't it be great if my, my employment situation was more like that guy or that, that woman? When we become envious or ungrateful, we not only resent our circumstances, we resent the king of our circumstances. And again, I'm not saying that we need to live lives of foolish naivete, that's the word. We're not ignoring our problems, but there's a difference between saying, I've got these problems and these situations, and God, please bring to bear your, your, your purposes, your wisdom, your glory, 
in this difficult, difficult situation and then instead saying, man, that guy has it better. I want what that guy has. That, that woman has it better. She has it better. I want what she has. God, why aren't you doing it X, Y, and Z way? God grants the Israelites their desire and makes Saul king. Sometimes God will give you what you ask for even when it's not the best. You know, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. So, so Saul is appointed. He's, he's this tall, uh, you know, handsome. He's, it says he's a head taller than the other individuals. He, he, he's a, you know, if you saw him on the street, you'd notice him. The kind of, he's a, a Tom Cruise type character, or pick your guy. Um, 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 anyways, yeah, pick your, pick your person. Um, it's going to bother me now. Uh, but he's, he, he appears on, on a human level to be someone who, who commands attention and respect. And so Saul goes and he fights the enemies of Israel. And then, in fact, he goes on to fight the, the Philistines after fighting the Ammonites. And he, he gathers a force of 3,000 people, and, and he's getting ready to fight them in chapter 13. If we go there, uh, chapter 13, verse 2, he chose 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 were with Saul, uh, and 1,000 were with his son, Jonathan. And then something happens. The Philistines gathered 30,000 chariots. Now understand that this is a country, this is a, a nation that's just been established and they don't really have, Israel doesn't have a robust army. They don't really have, an, they have an intra, infantry of, of, of migrant workers, really. And of, of individuals who've not been necessarily, I mean, they, they've been fighting and they've been warring, but, but they don't have chariots. They don't have horses, necessarily. It's, it's like the, their army consists of 3,000 infantrymen, and, and the Philistines come up with, with, with the cavalry, with the artillery. I mean, they, they come ready to fight. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops. And so Saul is a little nervous. He's, he's gathered his people together, and he's, he's waiting. And <clears throat> it's apparent from the text that Saul has been told by Samuel, wait seven days I will come, I will give an offering, and we can assume that he's going to hear from the Lord what, what the plan and the strategy of God is. Right? This was a holy war type thing where he, they were supposed to be led by God. God was their general, he wasn't just their king, he was their general, and he would tell them, this is, the, this is what I want you to do, this is how I want you to do it. And so in verse 8, it says that he waited for seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul's a, a relatively newly appointed leader. We don't know exactly how long he's been leading, maybe a few years. And, and the people are starting to leave. They, they've seen the Philistine forces, and, and some of them are, are hiding in the, in the caves and, and in holes, and, and they're just dispersing. And, and Saul's watching his whole army begin to fizzle and dissipate. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. And as soon as he had finished the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. <gasps> How many times has that happened to you when you're like, you wait, you wait, you wait, and you're like, well, fine, I'm just going to do it myself. And then as soon as you do it, then so-and-so shows up or whatever circumstance changes. 
You know, you wait and you're, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And, and he doesn't show up and fine, I'm going to, I'm going to fix it myself. And then the check comes in the mail. Man, I should have waited for God. Now I have some credit card debt. Saul had disobeyed the command of God. He'd stepped out of his role as king and performed the duties of a priest. It was important to recognize that, that Saul was neither a priest nor a prophet. And, and God had divided the, the powers appropriately. Samuel was functioning as prophet and priest, and, and, and Saul was to be the king. That, that didn't, this is not some sort of all-powerful dictator who can do whatever he wants to do. He is subject to the rule of Christ, or of God. He's subject to the rule of God mediated through Samuel the prophet. What Samuel said went. Now, Saul was the visible one who was out there leading, but he was to listen to Samuel and he did not listen. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul begins to... to, to when, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and, and that you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines were ministering at, or mustered at, at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. I didn't pray. I needed to go pray. And I just thought, you know, this is probably the best thing. Uh, and I thought, you know, my pastor wasn't here. So let's just have church right now. It's different. You can have church at your house. I mean, not quite the same thing, but you get the point. So I forced myself and offered a burnt set. I forced, I had to do it. I had to disobey. God, my circumstances made me. I had to get angry. So-and-so, she made me this way. I had, to, I had to lie to that person. I had to do that thing. Because there was, there was no other way. What sacrifices do you make in place of the simple obedience to God in your life? What sacrifices do you offer to, to God? You know, God says, don't do this. You know, maybe he, you're reading the Bible and there's this conviction, oh man, I, I really should stop gossiping. And instead of just stopping to gossip, you, begin, you pray and you put on worship. You, okay, God, I, I want to repent. I wanna, what do I need to do? And, and, but there's no actual change or transition. Or you're in a situation where you know, hey, this relationship, this is not a biblical relationship. I'm sleeping with my, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. This is not marriage. And, and, and I know it's wrong. So you know what we should do? We should talk. Let's talk about it. What should we do, sweetie? I don't know. What do you want to have for dinner? I don't know. Let's watch Netflix. And, and nothing changes. You, you pray, you go to church together, but, but you don't change what sacrifices are you making and offering them to god when god's saying all i want is your obedience this doesn't please me your your tap dancing religion doesn't please me i'm here with you i i've offered things to god i've read my i've read my bible i've my i don't know how many times i've tried to memorize scripture when god was like can you just stop being angry can you just be kind I need to memorize some scripture about being angry. <sighs> Do not the, let the sun go down in your anger. Fine, okay. Sacrifice is good when it's from a place of obedience. Sacrifice is hypocritical and stinks to God when it comes from a place of disobedience. For, for Saul, he, he looked at Samuel and, and, and acted... I, Maybe he was actually surprised. I, I feel like he wasn't. 
this is conjecture on my part, but I just feel like he, oops, that's, that's kind of the feel I get, is, is he knew there was, some, there was some manipulation happening. If I do this, God's going to do this. It's not obedience and it's not a sacrifice if we're trying to manipulate God. And because of Saul's disobedience, God chose another king. It says in verse 14, you have done foolishly. This is verse 13. You've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord with which he commanded you for then the Lord would have established your kingdom. All I wanted was for you to be obedient. If you, were, if you would just be obedient, you would have ruled and reigned, and your, your, your dynasty would have gone on forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and has commanded him to be prince over the people. So God says, I've sought out a man after my own heart, and I've put him as prince or I've established him, I've appointed him as prince over my people, as leader over my people. So let's, I wanted to consider what that means. I've sought out a man after, after my own heart, the Lord says. Now, you might have like, if, especially if you grew up in church, you might have a mug, you know, be after, a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, and this kind of this idea of be a good person, be a good Christian. And that's true. The Bible certainly says we want to obey God, we want to live like God, we want to look at Christ's life and conform our heart and our lives and our desires to Christ. But this text actually, it's better understood if we think of it as saying God chose a man according to his talking about God's own heart. God chose a person, I've chosen a person according to my own heart. Because if you look at the life of Saul, again, he was, um, what's his name? Man. Alba. Last name's Alba. What is it? Idris. Thank you. Idris Alba. Come on. So much better than Tom Cruise, right? Handsome. Oh, sorry, that took... If I didn't get it out, I would just, we, the, the sermon would have never ended. Um, Idris Alba, good gracious. I hear he's an attractive man. I mean, I don't have a personal... Anyways, Saul was Idris Alba. He was handsome, he was strong, he was muscular. He, he commanded attention when he walked into a room. There was a sense in which when everyone looked around and they were like, King, King, yes, you. Now that was worldly wisdom. That king had been chosen. I think God had said, you guys want a king? This is what you're looking for? Here's your king. And when he says in this moment, I'm going to pick one after my own heart, he says, now it's my turn. I'm going to pick someone after my own heart. God chose a leader according to his own values and his own purposes. Even though Saul looked like he ought to be a king, he failed horribly in the area of character. David, on the other hand, was so insignificant that when Samuel came to his father's house to identify the new chosen king, David's father forgot about him. That's a bad day. I mean, I, I get mixed up with my three kids, and sometimes I'll call Ethan, Owen, Owen, Ethan, and, and Ada. I'll just, I won't call her Ethan, Owen, but I, I get confused at times. But I don't forget my kids. By the grace of God. <laughs> I feel like as soon as I walk out, I'm like, where are my kids? Oh man, I forgot them. Don't get, don't get proud. I don't know. But, but he's, he's in the field. So the dad either thought, forgot about him or thought he was so insecure. Surely, 
they're not talking about David. He brings in all his other kids, and Samuel's going down the list and line. And, and, and Samuel, who's a man of God, who's a prophet of God, looks at one of the guys who's handsome. And is like, oh, this is the guy. And God's like, nope. And it's like, oh, okay, well, oh, yeah, he does have gap teeth. What about this guy? <laughs> oh, no, you know, okay, well, I guess he's not as. But he's still looking by this human wisdom. I apologize. Anyways, I shouldn't have said that. Um, and, and David comes, and, and he's this young, handsome, but, but unexpected young man. And God says, this is my man. And, and God lays out real, really the difference between the way we view things and the way he views things in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He says it in verse 6 and 7. 6 and 7. When they came to him, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on this appearance or his height or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Right? He says, I know that that's the standard that I used last time. You saw Saul and you're like, Yeah, that's the guy. And I said, That's the guy. But that's not how I'm doing it this time. For the Lord sees not what a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. And he saw something in David, something in David's heart that, that fell in line with God's heart. The Lord is interested in your heart. I know that, that when we come to church, there's, there's all this concern about, am I going to fit in? Maybe you, you come and you're, you're excited because you feel like you fit in. You go to work and you, you feel like you're, you're succeeding and, and you've, you've grown up and life has been great and you've been handsome and you're strong and, and you, you've lived life and kind of surrounded yourself around your own talents and abilities and strengths. And I would, I would say, be careful because God is concerned with more than just your ability, your strength, your talent. He's concerned with your character. Now, I think many more, many more of us come to church, we go to work, we live our lives, and we're discouraged by our talents, we're discouraged by our abilities, by our stature in life. We, we say, oh, I'm not that good, I'm not that smart, I'm not that talented, I can't do this as well as that person, I don't even know how to do that. And we, we say, man, what is, what is it even worth? Like, what can I do? And I would encourage you that God is interested in your heart. He's interested in your character. You know, as, as a person who works with individuals and leads them, you can teach skills. You can't teach humility. Not easily, at least. You can teach administration, but you can't teach a heart that is devoted to God's people. You can teach... I, you could, I could teach you how to speak at least as well as I can, probably better, because it's not, you know... There are rules, like, have a main point, have three sub-points... Use transition. I could teach you how to talk. I could not teach you how to worship God in front of people so that our hearts are together raised up and changed. That, that's a heart thing. God is concerned with our heart. And David was a man who had accomplished God's will because he was living life in line with God's will. In reflection to what David had accomplished in the book of Acts, one of the apostles looks back on, uh, I think it's Paul, and he says, in verse 36, he's talking about, about Israel, and he says, about David, 
For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. David had served the purpose of God. And we see in Saul this desire to serve his own purposes. Right? That's, that's the point of the foil, is to show a contrast. David showed, or, uh, Saul served his own purposes. David served the purposes of God. He goes on to say, well, prior to that in verse 22, it says this, when, he had removed, when God had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he is testified to say, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, own heart. And, and you might say, well, okay, what does he mean there? And he goes on, who will do all my will? Who will obey? There are many things that are complicated in this world. Quantum mechanics is complicated. <laughs> Marriage is complicated, sometimes. Sometimes it's also simple. Um, but obedience is simple. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's always easy, but it is simple. You know, and, and we, we, you see it all the time, especially if you've raised up kids. You, okay, put this on. Put, put this outfit on. But I don't want to wear these pants. That's not obedience. Okay, I'll do it later. That's not obedience. Can I put these on and then wear a different shirt? No, that's not obedience. What's obedience? Put on the clothes. Super simple. Not always easy, but super simple. Don't gossip. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Love pe- It's simple. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is simple. It's straightforward. And Samuel did, or Saul did something that we, we try to do. We try to complicate it and say, you know, but wh- what exactly do you mean by don't? <laughs> like, don't write this second, but maybe later? Don't for the next five minutes, but after that, yeah? Don't, but do? This is, this is our heart as we, we try to complicate things and it's very simple. David was a man who was willing to do what he was told to do. Right? He was the king. You know what his, his job description was? Do what I tell you to do. You can be king. Just do what God tells you to do. It's no wonder that Jesus is called the son of David because David was the one who paved the way of doing what God told him to do. And like David, Jesus would be concerned with the purposes of God, his father. Jesus would obey and sacrifice. What about you? What purpose do you live for right now? Whose purpose are you serving right now? In your personal life, in your relationships and friendships, in your employment, whose purposes are you serving? This doesn't mean that all of us have to, again, quit and try to work for the church or go and, you know, build houses in in Haiti and serve orphans in Africa. That's not necessarily what God is saying, but he's saying there's a way for you to live in my purposes and obey my commands in the context that you find yourself in. Now, some of us, you're in sinful context. You're doing something at work you're not supposed to be doing. You're doing something in a relationship that you're not supposed to be doing. And, and it is simple, but it's hard. And it's to do this, to obey, to stop doing this other thing that was wrong and to obey, to live with integrity and obey, to not commit adultery and obey. Whose purposes are you living for? 
the Lord found a man who had, was a man after his own heart, and, and he commanded him to be prince over his people. This is my last point. David was a leader. Right? That word prince, it, it's, it's a ruler, it's a leader. The NASB says, says ruler. The New American Standard Bible says ruler. Uh, he, he was a prince over his people. He was brave. 1 Samuel 17, 34 says that um, your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb of the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. I... That's, that's a level of brave that I don't think I'll ever need to atta- you know, attain to. And he was, serving, he was doing that as, as the poopsmith, as the, the shepherd. Right? He had a level of bravery, bravery and, and integrity when he was just shoveling, you know, just cleaning up after the sheep. This was not, I'm being brave because I have a high stature and I'm a king. No, wherever I am, whatever stature I am, I'm being brave and strong. He was brave. He was worshipful. This was a man whose life, I mean, read the Psalms. This is a man who, who operated and he oriented all of his life and his motions and his processing through the grid of worship. When he was happy, he worshipped. When he was sad, he worshipped. When he lost someone, he worshipped. When he sinned, he worshipped. David spoke to the Lord in chapter 22 of Second Samuel the words of the song on the day which the Lord delivered him out of the hands of all his enemies from the hand of Saul. And he sings this long song. He worships. His winds lead him not to celebrate him, not to say, man, I am awesome, but to say, God, you are awesome. The mark of a good leader is that a good leader can deflect, deflect glory to the one who really deserves it. Right? He was a, a good leader because he was worshipful. He was paternal. We have in, in the book of Proverbs several chapters in which he just lays out, this is how you need to live, my son. This is what you need to do, my son. These are the things you need to live by. These are the things you need to avoid, my son. He was paternal. He cared. He understood that this was not only going to be something for him, but for others. He was a leader, and he was a leader over, over his people. Second Samuel says it this way. Second Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when David is actually finally anointed as king. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over Israel he cared about God's people he, was sh- he shepherded them that's not an accident that they, they use that terminology they understood that there was a care there was a provision there was a protection that David came with as, as king that he was going to provide the same kind of protection that he provided for these, these sheep and it's, it's interesting that in the New Testament when God talks about leaders and he talks about pastors and he talks about what the church ought to look like, he's, he reflects on the leadership of David caring for his people, caring for the people of God, shepherding them. Now, David was a ruler who exemplified God's purposes, but David, even though he was great, was a sinner like you and me. See, I, 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 
I didn't want to stop here and say David was awesome, be like David. Because the reality is, if you keep reading, David messed up really badly. I mean, I'm sure that there were more things than, than what's recorded, but, but he messed up really badly. And maybe you're in this room and, and you think to yourself, I could never be a David. Because I've, I've just really messed up super badly. But, but the reality is, David was a man that God knew would mess up. David was a man who God chose to use despite his sin. David was not some sort of superhero. Sometimes we look at characters in the Bible and we say, oh, I could never be like that person. They lived at a different time and, and surely God made them different people. He had superpowers. He could shoot you know, kinetic energy out of his eyes or something akin to that. But no, he was, he was a, a man like you and me. He, he commits adultery. He murders the wife or the murders the husband of the woman he has adultery with? I mean, this, that's, that's not a little bit... Right? I mean, just step back and understand that the same man who everyone says, Jesus is the son of this guy, was a murderer and an adulterer, among, I'm sure, other things. Liar? Cheater? Stealer? If you're in this room and you're like, man, I don't, mm, I, I've disobeyed so much, that's not the point. The reality is, much of the Old Testament, and David's life included, was intended to present a vision of what God was wanting to do, and to create a hunger for what these men and women couldn't do. Samuel, for whatever reason, couldn't succeed in changing these these stiff-necked people so that they would trust God as their king. And and Saul couldn't lead them, and, and David couldn't lead them. Because he failed. And so you walk away from reading the Old Testament and saying, man, if only there was a better prophet, if only there was a better king, if only there was a better priest, and then who shows up but the Son of God? Who is a better prophet? Who doesn't just speak the Word of God, but is the Word of God? A better priest who doesn't just intercede for us, but is God speaking to us? Who's a better king, defeating our greatest enemy, sin, Satan, and death? Who doesn't just establish an earthly kingdom, but an eternal kingdom. David prepared the way for Jesus. And David gives us a picture of what it looks like to live a life that is aligned with the purposes of God. And David gives us a a taste of Christ to come. Now, I, I think that this text is calling us to obey. You know, I think it's pretty clear that Samuel says obedience is better than sacrifice. He, Saul goes on and actually makes the same mistake later on. He does the exact same thing again. And, and at this point in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, Samuel says, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And friends, that's, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. God didn't give us service, works, activities, church, as a way of assuaging our own guilt, as a way of um, mopping up our own sin. No, all of these things ought to flow out of a heart that loves and obeys God. And now the good news is that if you're in a place where you have not loved and obeyed God, 
There is one who has. Speaking of Jesus, the Apostle Paul says this. Let each of you, this is in chapter 2, verse 4 of Philippians, let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God, Jesus was with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfectly in, in perfect uh, unity. And yet he, he lays down his right and comes and lives life as a person. Made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. David did not obey to the point of death. Saul certainly didn't obey to the point of death. But Jesus has obeyed to the point of death. So that when you and I come to God saying, I've not obeyed, I've disobeyed again. I've I've messed up again. I've sinned again. I've broken your law again. We can cry out, but there's one that we trust who obeyed to the point of death. Your obedience and my obedience is not what unites us to God. Christ's obedience is what unites us to God. And the good news is, is that even though you and I, like David, have sinned and fallen short of God's purposes, there is someone who will save us, who will allow us to be counted right before God, and through whom our hearts can be formed and shaped so that they begin to align with the purposes of God, so that we can become men and women who are like Jesus men and women after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that that you've given us the example of David. I'm so humbled by the fact that you would allow us to to be encouraged by a man who, though he, he did amazing things and certainly lived a life that was more faithful than Saul's, still managed to to express the, the presence of indwelling sin through his failures and sin. And yet you used him and you allowed him to be in the, in the bloodline of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you that Jesus Christ is the one who, like David, obeyed and who was a man after God's own heart. Whose purposes were God's purposes. Whose will was God's will. Whose desire was God's desire. Who, while praying before his crucifixion, said, if this cup can pass, if this opportunity for me to die on the cross could pass, let it be so yet not my will but your will who was obedient even to the point of death we thank you God for that and Lord God I pray that we would trust in not our own abilities not our own sacrifices not our own obedience but we trust in Christ as we choose to obey if you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus as your king as your savior as the one who who allows you to connect with God, I would love to pray for you. I'd love for you to respond to God by trusting in Jesus for for your righteousness before God. Trusting in Jesus for your salvation and not trusting in your own ability to get to God. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you and I want you to pray with me.
Awesome. Once that hand is up, you can put it back down. Okay, I want you to pray with me. Jesus, I have disobeyed you. I haven't obeyed all the things you've told me to do. And I'm sorry. I, I want to stop disobeying and obey you. And I thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, obeyed even to the point of dying on the cross. And I trust him to save me and to make me right. Lord, give me new life. And help me to live that new life in obedience, obeying you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I love you, family.